Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. It's allergy season where I live, and I'm sure you guys can tell by the sound of my voice. A little stuffed up, got a little bit of a frog in my throat, but we're going to power through today. Because, on today's episode, we wrap up the Coruscant Knights trilogy. It's Patterns of Force by Michael Reeves the next book in the Jack's Pavin story. And I didn't know this until earlier this week, but there's one more Jack's Pavin book called The Last Jedi, published in 2013. That's one of the last few Legends books that I still haven't read. I own it, but still haven't read it. But we're not talking about that book today. We're talking about Patterns of Force. Before we get to today's book, it's everybody's favorite segment of the show, listener emails. Today's message comes from a new listener, Victor. Victor says, Do you think it's possible that Jedi Sentinels would be likely to escape Order 66 since they didn't seem to work as closely with clones and can blend in with the regular population easier than regular Jedi? Well, thank you for the email, Victor. I can answer this two ways, literally and narratively. Literally, the answer is yes. But, narratively, I think is the more interesting way to look at this question. Let me start out by going over what a Jedi Sentinel is first, for those who may not be familiar with the term. In canon, a Jedi Sentinel is a Jedi that preferred working directly with the people throughout the galaxy, rather than studying the Force at a Jedi Temple or taking specific missions assigned to them by the Jedi Council. Sentinels are similarly defined in Legends, with one small difference being that Jedi Sentinels in Legends would typically use the Force in practical tasks like mechanics or medicine, criminal investigation, whatever. Basically, whether it's in canon or Legends, Jedi Sentinels weren't the ones meditating in the temples or performing official missions for the Order. Jedi Sentinels were out mingling with the people, helping them in their day-to-day lives. So, would it be more likely, narratively, for a Jedi Sentinel to escape the purge from Order 66? Again, yes, I think it would be easier. But for the most part, I still think the Empire would have hunted them down and eliminated them. I guess part of the answer to this question, Victor, would be... What does Order 66 consist of for you? Is it only when Palpatine's order turned the clone troopers against the Jedi? Or 
do you broaden the definition, and does it continue to include the era of Vader and the Inquisitors hunting down any Force users that escaped the Great Purge? If you consider Order 66 only when Palpatine turned the clone troops against the Jedi, executing the Jedi as they fought alongside them, then yes, my opinion is it would be much easier for a Jedi Sentinel to escape the Purge than a Jedi Guardian or Consular. The Jedi Sentinels weren't commanding clone troops for the most part, leading them in battle. Most of them were on their own, spread throughout the galaxy, helping design irrigation systems, building hospitals, settling disputes, etc. I, however, take a more liberal view of Order 66. To me, the Jedi Purge includes the years after the rise of the Empire, where Vader and the Inquisitors continue to hunt those that escaped the end of the Clone Wars. I know that's a minority opinion, but regardless of what time frame you consider constitutes Order 66, one thing that irks me is when we learn of other Jedi or Padawans surviving the Purge and making it into the original trilogy era and beyond. And that's in both Legends and Canon. For the longest time, the only ones we knew of were Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. Then in Canon, we add Ahsoka Tano. All right, that's fine. Then Kanan Jarrus in Rebels. Then Cal Kestis in Fallen Order. Although, we do not know for how long Cal's story will continue in the timeline. He may not make it to the original trilogy era. And now we have Grogu, who was stolen away from the Jedi Temple on Coruscant when it fell and was being held captive for almost 30 years. It's not that I don't like these characters. I do. I really like them all. But I like how back during the original trilogy, you knew just how overwhelmingly devastating the dark times were. And don't get me started on all the Jedi and Padawans that survived Order 66 and Legends. We'll be here all day. So, even if the Jedi Sentinels would have had a better chance of surviving the clones during Order 66, I do think they still would have been caught eventually by Vader and the Inquisitors and most likely executed. Because what makes the Skywalker saga special to me is that it's only Luke or Leia that could defeat Vader and the Emperor, and they're being protected and guided by two of the very, very few Jedi that escaped Order 66. Thank you very much for the email, Victor, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Now, if you would like to be a really cool person, just like Victor, and have a question or comment read on the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, please feel free, record yourself, give me your opinion about a legend story or anything in Star Wars. Record a three to five minute audio file and email it into the show. Just make it easy on me and please record it in either MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now it's time for today's book, Patterns of Force by Michael Reeves, the final installment in the Coruscant Knights Trilogy. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The 
The story begins with Jax Pavin and his crew being visited by a member of the Whiplash organization named Tudin Sal. The Sakayan has a history with I-5 and Jax's father, Lorne Pavin. Sal says that when Lorne decided to go after the Zabrak Sith Lord, he entrusted Sal with the Sith holocron he stole from the Jedi Temple and with I-5. Sal apologizes for not going to the Jedi after Lorne's death. But after he lost his business to Palpatine, Sal joined the Whiplash and pledged to fight the Empire. And Sal has a plan. Cut off the head and the monster dies, he says. Sal wants to use I-5 to infiltrate the Imperial Palace and kill the Emperor. The group erupts in protest. Dendur and Hinium Rhinan think it's too risky. If I-5 was to fail, they could all become targets of the Empire. Deja Dewari points out that being a Jedi in hiding, the plan would be most dangerous for Jax. I-5 decides to think about it, but even he says that Jax needs insulated from the scheme. Since Jax may be the last Jedi, I-5 says, he's responsible for training new ones. I-5 tables his decision until he can get everyone's opinions one-on-one. In a nearby marketplace, a Force-sensitive teenager named Kaj Savaros is trying to find food while avoiding the Inquisitors. The dark side adepts that Darth Vader is using to hunt down any Jedi who avoided Order 66. Kaj is strong in the Force, but he's never had any training. He's dangerous to himself and to others. When the Force builds up in Kaj, he has a hard time keeping his emotions under control, releasing waves of Force to relieve the stress. Using the Force, one Inquisitor named Probus Tesla finds Kaj in the market and chases him through the underground streets. The two struggle using the Force, drawing the attention of Jax and Larenth Tarek, the Grey Paladin. Tesla chases Kaj down a tunnel where the teenager yanks a piece of a repulsor field generator off the wall, throwing it at Tesla, nearly knocking him out of the tunnel. Jax and Larenth arrive just as Tesla tries to hit Kaj with Force Lightning, but the bolt bounces back off the unstable repulsor field and arcs back on Tesla. Believing the Inquisitor to be dead, Jax and Larenth find Kaj and whisk him away to Jax's hideout. Back at the apartment, Jax starts planning how to best start Kaj's training, while Rhinan continues trying to find out if I-5 still has the vial of Bota. Rhinan asks the droid about the Bota's ability to enhance a Jedi's connection to the Force. I-5 says that when Barriss Offee was injected with a Bota popper, she experienced an almost ethereal connection to the Cosmic Force. Barriss said she was open to the entire Cosmic Force, sensing people and events happening throughout the galaxy. Barriss sent I-5 to Coruscant with the last vial of the effective Bota to deliver it to the Jedi Temple. But I-5 never got a chance to do that. The Empire wiped out the Jedi during his voyage to Coruscant. So, I-5 decided to keep the Bota in case he found Jax, to offer the Jedi the vial in case he needed to use it. So, does this mean Jax has it? Rhinan asks. But I-5 is evasive. He won't give Rhinan a straight answer about the vial's location. Why? Rhinan wonders. 
I-5 says he doesn't want to give the Aloman any sensitive information in case Reinen could be captured and interrogated by Darth Vader. Frustrated, Reinen decides he must come up with another tactic in order to find the Bota. Later that evening, Paul Haas arrives. The Imperial Security Prefect is searching for the rogue force user that attacked an Inquisitor earlier that day. Jax and the crew give vague responses to keep Haas from searching the hideout and finding Cadge hiding in a back bedroom. When Jax asks why Haas would come to them about the situation, Haas reveals that he knows Jax is a Jedi. But he doesn't care, he says. Jax's group helps people in Haas's district. Haas warns them that Vader is interested in finding whoever attacked the Inquisitor. If he can find the person first, Haas says, he hopes to smuggle him off-world, telling Vader that the person was killed, leaving no evidence. After Haas leaves, Cadge emerges from hiding. The group starts asking him questions. When Cadge disappears in the Force. Curious, Jax and Deja realize that whenever Cadge steps behind one of Vesvalet's light sculptures, neither Jax nor Deja can sense him using their Force and empathic abilities. The phenomenon gives Jax an idea. If he can set up enough of Volet's light sculptures, he can hide Cadge's Force training. Reluctantly, Deja agrees to allow Jax and Cadge the use of Volette's old studio to set up the training site. Jax and Larenth set up the light sculptures around Volette's studio. They place Cadge in the middle of the circle and step outside. Jax tells Cadge to open himself to the Force, but the light sculptures shield Cadge. Neither Jax nor Larenth can sense the teenager. Satisfied that the studio will be safe to start Cadge's training, Jax has Cadge begin a series of force exercises. As Cadge's training progresses, Jax asks Larenth about Tudensal's plan to have I-5 assassinate the Emperor. It could work, Larenth says, but it's more likely to fail, and if it does, it'll bring the Empire down on the whiplash. Jax asks Larenth to set up a meeting with the leader of the resistance, Tai Zan Yaman. Larenth leaves when the rest of Jax's group arrives at the studio. I-5 uses the situation to ask everyone their opinion about the assassination plot. Den and Reinen vote against the plan. Deja votes for it. Jax tells I-5 he still has not made up his mind, but he promises the droid that he'll have an answer after he meets with Yaman. Larenth sets up the meeting for later that night and takes Jax on a circuitous route to Yaman's lair. Jax tells the Whiplash leader about the incident between Cadge and the Inquisitor and how he's hiding the boy. When Jax tells the Whiplash leader about Pol Haas's investigation, Yaman reveals that Haas is actually a member of the Whiplash. He's the organization's mole in the Imperial Security Bureau. Yaman says that Haas is trying to protect the Resistance, but he'll need to give Vader and the ISB something to get the heat off their organization. Jax then asks Yaman about Tudin Sal's plan to have I-5 assassinate Palpatine. Yaman admits to not knowing about the scheme. Jax says he doesn't think Sal really cares about stopping the Empire's oppression, 
He thinks Sal wants revenge on the Sith for killing his friend and taking away his business. Yaman asks Jax if revenge is also Jax's reason for considering the plan. When Jax admits to struggling with the answer, Yaman asks that if Jax can't answer the question, then how does assassinating someone make Jax's group any different from the Empire? Satisfied with Yaman's advice, Jax leaves and returns to Volette's studio. When he returns, Jax tells I-5 he will not approve of the assassination plot. When I-5 asks why, Jax laments that he wishes he could talk to his father. This activates a recording in I-5 that Lorne made before he went chasing the Sith Zabrak. Lorne said he never thought of himself as a hero, just that he owed the Jedi who sacrificed her life to save his. When the recording ends, Jax tells I-5 the assassination plot is on, but it won't be for the droid alone. Jax is going to. The next day, Deja, Reinen, and Kaj head to a local market when they're trapped by three Inquisitors, including Probus Tesla. He's not dead after all. Larenth and Jax sense the danger and race to the scene. When they arrive, they team up and kill one of the Inquisitors, but a second gets the drop on Larenth from behind. Just as he's about to deal the killing blow, Kaj force pushes the Inquisitor, disintegrating him. In the commotion, Tesla escapes and reports back to Vader. The Dark Lord is intrigued, but tells Tesla not to worry. One of the members of Jax's group is a mole. They'll soon have Kaj, Jax, I-5, and the Bota. Jax asks Larenth to move Kaj to the Whiplash safehouse, but they're ambushed on the way, drugged and captured by the Inquisitors. When Yaman calms Jax to tell him about the kidnapping, the two realize there must be someone in the Whiplash organization ratting them out to the ISB. Jax sets up a rescue operation, disguising himself as one of the Inquisitors. He'll infiltrate the ISB, and then Deja and Reinen will bring I-5 to the ISB, offering to exchange the droid and the Bota for Larenth and Kaj. When the three arrive, they're met by Vader and a line of Inquisitors. Vader asks them who has the Bota. Deja says she doesn't know, and then walks to the line of Inquisitors and unmasks Jack's Pavin, revealing herself to be Vader's double agent. When Vader demands Jack's give him the Bota, Larenth still in custody, admits that she is the one who has the vial. Vader takes the vial of Bota and pours its contents into his chest plate. But instead of connecting the Dark Lord to the cosmic force, something weird happens, causing Vader to eject massive amounts of force energy throughout the ISB. One blast slams a chair into I-5. Another throws Deja into a wall, crushing her. A third kills one of the Inquisitors. Jax advances on Vader to try and keep the Dark Lord from destroying the entire building. He ignites his lightsaber and swings, but the blade rebounds off the Force, radiating off Vader. Just then, Yaman arrives with a group of armed whiplash operatives. They frantically try to stop Vader, but nothing they do can penetrate his force bubble. 
However, Reinen can. Enraged that he never got to use the bowtie himself, Reinen rushes at Vader, grabbing at the Dark Lord, pushing him toward a blown-out window. The two fall out the window and vanish over the side of the building. In the aftermath of the destruction, Yaman offers to send Kaj to the planet Shili to heal from Vader's mental torture. Den decides to stay with I-5 rather than go home to Sullust. Larenth rejoins the group, and the group moves to a new hideout. The story ends with Den introducing them to Amiri Allen, who says he's come seeking help. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about Patterns of Force and the entire Coruscant Knights trilogy. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Tarkin tells the story of a scion of Iriadu, a distinguished soldier and politician, Governor Wilhuff Tarkin rises through the Imperial ranks, believing that the fear of force is the most efficient way to rule. It's a story of action and intrigue. That's Tarkin by James Luceno. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Patterns of Force by Michael Reeves, the final book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy. When you go online and look up people's opinions and reviews of the Coruscant Knights trilogy, you'll see people have pretty positive reviews overall for the first book and this third book, Patterns of Force. Most of their opinions about the second book, Street of Shadows, are a little more negative. I'm the exact opposite. I think Street of Shadows, the second book, was by far the most interesting. These books take place over a couple month period in the first year following the rise of the Empire and the destruction of the Jedi. But the books overall don't feel that connected to me. It's not one overarching story. They are three distinct stories that just so happen to have the same characters in them. The only thing that kind of connected the story, I guess, throughout the three books was the Bota. Jack's learning more about his father, Lorne Pavin, and Vader searching for Jax. Now, the Inquisitors didn't show up until this third book, but Vader is looking for Jax throughout the entire story. I guess I just preferred the second book because I liked the investigation that was going on. I'm not going to go back over into that. You guys can listen to the previous episode. In this third book, it's Jax and the crew trying to hide 
a Force-sensitive teenager, and some of the struggles Cadge has with the Force welling up in him. Now, two episodes ago, I mentioned that Michael Reeves put a Star Trek reference in the first book of the Coruscant Knights trilogy, Jedi Twilight. I wonder if the way he describes how the Force wells up into Cadge and then he has to just release it is also a Star Trek reference. It reminded me a lot of the movie Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, when a young Spock is found on the planet Genesis and he's going through Pond Far. A lot of that reminds me of how Cadge describes how the Force feels inside of him, that it keeps welling up, and then he just has to release it out into the world. I don't know. Maybe Michael Reeves is a huge Star Trek fan, or maybe, at least in this one, I might be looking a little too far into it. I mentioned a few minutes ago the Inquisitors being in this book, and it surprised me. The first time I remember the Inquisitors were in Star Wars Rebels, which started airing in 2015, I believe. Around there, around 2015. This book was published in 2009. And this is the first time I'm reading it. But this is the first time I can remember them ever mentioning Inquisitors in Legends. So... I went to Twitter and asked Pablo Hidalgo, you know, works for Lucasfilm, works for the Lucasfilm Story Group. And I asked Pablo if this was the first time Inquisitors had ever been used in the Star Wars universe. Thankfully, Pablo got back to me. And he said that Inquisitors first showed up in the Star Wars source book published in 1987. And then they showed up again in the mid-90s in the role-playing game, the West End role-playing game that was published in the mid-90s. And basically, the Inquisitors were designed in the role-playing game to send after your Jedi because Vader was so powerful. Your Jedi wouldn't last a long time against Vader. And that makes a lot of sense. So... These Inquisitors were sitting there from an RPG and a source book in the late 80s and early 90s. They were used in Rebels in 2015, and I guess Michael Reeves must have at least known about them in order to use them in this book, 2009. So, narratively, I think this is the first time Inquisitors are used in Star Wars. It's pretty cool to learn. Uh, it was pretty cool to learn the backstory. I really appreciate Pablo Hidalgo responding to my question. I admit, when the Inquisitors first show up in Rebels, I was a little skeptical. But the more I thought about it, the more I saw of the Inquisitors in both Rebels and some canon books, and now here in a Legends story... It makes a lot of sense. I'm not going to say they're my favorite, but 
It's not something I dislike. I actually am more on board with using Inquisitors than I was when I first saw them. Back to this story as a whole. I think Patterns of Force is one of those Legends books that is a fun read, but is definitely not a necessary read. In fact, I would say the entire Coruscant Knights trilogy is not a necessary read. There are some good things in them. It's interesting that in the books that Michael Reeves either authored or co-authored, except for the first one, Death Star, in the six others, the MedStar duology, this Coruscant Knights trilogy, and I went ahead and did a little bit of research on the last book, The Last Jedi. In those six books, many of the same characters appear. And that's cool. It links the stories. If you are a fan of these characters, it makes their story arcs interesting. I just don't find these characters that interesting. I-5 is a sentient droid. I'm not sure how much that works for me. You know, George Lucas has always said droids are just the toasters that either walk around or wheel around. Now, he knew that 3PO and R2 were important characters to Star Wars, and he gave them their own personalities. But I wouldn't say he gave them sentience. They're not living organisms. And I would say the droids that show up in all other Star Wars media, while they are cute, funny, sassy, sarcastic, some are downright hilarious, I wouldn't say that any of them were sentient. And I'm not sure how much a sentient droid works overall, but that's just my opinion. I really liked the character of Den Dur in the MedStar duology. In this trilogy of books, Den is more of a supporting character, and I understand why. This is the Jax Pavin story. So, I don't have a big deal about that. I personally, though, think Den is a little more interesting than what any of the other characters are. But I've been criticizing this book a ton. What does the book do well? The book introduces Inquisitors into the Star Wars Legends timeline. Jax Pavin struggles with wanting to know more about his father, struggles with really wanting to continue the Jedi line. Jax feels the responsibility of possibly being the last Jedi that survived Order 66. Larenth Tarek, the Twi'lek, also survived, but she left the Jedi. She does not consider herself a Jedi. She considers herself something called a Grey Paladin. So for Jax, 
he feels the weight of responsibility of trying to find other Force users and teach them how to become Jedi in order to help people throughout the galaxy. The book does a really good job with that. The book does a really good job of giving us Jax's thoughts about that subject and his fears that he's not adequate enough to do this or that either Vader or the Inquisitors will catch him and stop him before he is able to do this. That the book does really well. I'm just not so sure the plot of the book is that interesting. One last thing I noticed in this book, and it's toward the end. I-5 says that Barris Afi gave him the vial of Bota nearly two decades ago. Now, at first I thought maybe the author was using the original Legends timeline that the Clone Wars occurred approximately 10 to 15 years prior to when the Clone Wars end up occurring in canon. Even though this book was published in 2009 and Revenge of the Sith revealed the timeline between Episodes 3, Revenge of the Sith, and Episode 4, A New Hope, maybe Reeves was using that original timeline in Legends for when the Clone Wars occurred. But I think it's more likely that Reeves simply made a mistake because if you look at the rest of the Coruscant Knights trilogy, Jedi Twilight takes place only two or three months after the rise of the Empire. Street of Shadows takes place only two or three months after that. This book, Patterns of Force, takes place only two or three months after that. So at most, this book ends only about a year after the rise of Emperor Palpatine. I-5 received the vial of Bota from Barris Afi in the MedStar duology at the end of the second book and was sent to Coruscant to deliver it to the Jedi. The Jedi fell before he got there. So, I-5 received the Bota only at most a couple months before Order 66. And that's kind of the timeline that Reeves gives in the rest of this Coruscant Knights trilogy. I think just this one thing toward the end of the book was a mistake he made, and I don't think his editors caught it. Instead of two decades ago, maybe he meant to say two years ago. While I still think that would have been a little long on the timeline, that would at least be more believable. But it says two decades ago. So I just think there's a little misprint in this book. Well, time to wrap up. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. On our next one, we're heading back into the X-Wing series, Wraith Squadron by Aaron Alston. Join me again on April 1st. Until then, if you have a question or comment for the show, please send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or a tweet at legendslounge1. I'd love to hear from you. And... If you want to get your voice on the show, record your own three to five minute audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. 
Give me your opinions about a book, movie, TV show, whatever. Legends, canon, I don't care. I'd love to hear from you. Just please record it in either MP3 or MP4 format, please. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you, and remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.